Welcome to Book Wasted. We drink, we review, we revel. That's Jessica. And that's Krista. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Oh my gosh. The second rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. But that's all we're going to be talking about today. Yes. So, we're going to be reviewing Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, Krista, tell us what it's about, even though we don't already know. Yeah, so I feel like it was kind of hard to write this summary because this is such a well-known story. Um, Uh So, I'm going to do my best. Just bear with me. So, our narrator is living a life that he thinks that he likes, but he can't sleep. So, he goes to cancer support groups and he cries. And this helps him to sleep. This is where he meets Tyler Durden, this part of his life. And then they start Fight Club after his life, the narrator's life, literally explodes. Like his whole condo blows out of the building. And for the narrator, Fight Club replaces the cancer support group. So now he can sleep. He moves in with Tyler and they make soap and they cater waiter and they run Fight Club. Eventually, Tyler starts sleeping with Marla, who the narrator met at this this cancer support groups, and it irritates him because Tyler is never in the same room as Marla unless they're having sex, and, like, that reminds him of his parents, and, like, it's so crazy. After a while, Fight Club evolves into Project Mayhem, which is an anarchist movement to change the world, but Project Mayhem starts to get too intense for the narrator, so he decides to shut it down. However, everyone seems to be calling him Sir, and Marla's calling him Tyler, and the narrator slowly becomes to realize that everyone thinks that he's Tyler Durden. Uh, Tyler comes to him one night and he explains what's been happening. When he's awake, he's in control, but when he's asleep, Tyler's in control. In the end, we find the narrator in a facility after he has shot himself through the cheek. Um, So he's supposedly gotten rid of Tyler. But people are still telling him that the plan is going according to plan. That the plan, that things are going according to plan. That was a terrible, terrible sentence. Uh, And they can't wait to have him back, sir. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. So, I know, right? Love it. So what are we drinking all right, so Fight Club today. In for us to review Fight Club, we are going to be drinking this thing I came up with called Sucker Punch. Nice. I thought that that was going to be appropriate. I was really looking for something that was like a red drink, but I didn't want to just like I know this book is all about like masculinity. I was, I'm, frankly, I'm not going to be drinking whiskey or no. beer right now. No. Sorry, just not my favorite. So we're drinking Sucker Punch, and so this drink has two shots of gin in it. What you actually want to do is take like a tumbler. Uh, Regular glass. I don't know. Take a glass. Um, fill it up with ice. Put two shots of gin in it. Um, I'd say maybe like, you know, two shots of lemonade. And then what you want to get is you want to get watermelon Red Bull. Mm. This is part of the punch. Yes. This is the sucker in the punch. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to add watermelon Red Bull to it just to kind of like, you know, top it off. Get a good amount. Essentially, we're looking for like a third, a third, and a third. And then I like wanted to add like a splash of like grenadine. To kind of like, you know, make the color like red and pretty. And other than that, like it's pretty delicious. It is pretty good. Cheers. Cheers. To (sighs) not talking about Fight Club. To not talking about Fight Club. And that's all we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Alrighty, so let's get into like our mysterious author. Yeah, the one we've never talked about before. We've never talked about this author before. Never. How'd that that research go for you, Jess? Was it it pretty quick? Copy and paste, basically. There you go. Um, So, um, our author is Chuck Palahniuk, and according to his Twitter, it is Palahniuk, so I'm always saying it right. Palahniuk. Chuck Palahniuk. Okay. Okay, got it. Um, So, he's published 19 novels, three nonfiction books, two graphic novels, and two adult coloring books, as well as several short stories. Nice. I love adult coloring books. Yeah. I think they're amazing. Lots of fun. So, he's well known for Fight Club, Choke, and of course, Invisible Monsters, which we have already reviewed here on Book Wasted. A mm-hmm. wonderful book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed Invisible Monsters. Yes. But just like with his stories, it's hard to find where the storytelling ends and the reality actually begins because Chuck himself is a mystery and a cult personality. Mm-hmm. He's just had like so much crazy stuff happen to him in his life where it's like, this is actually real. Um, so, born February 21st, 1962, to Fred and Carol Polinick. Uh, Charles Michael Polinick spent his early childhood living out of a mobile home in Burbank, Washington. 
This family has a really tragic history. So his paternal grandfather shot and killed his grandmother in an argument about how much was spent on a sewing machine. Oh my gosh. So um, Chuck talks about how like some of his father's earliest memories were hiding underneath the bed um, while his grandfather was looking for like somebody else for him to kill before he turned the gun on himself. Oh wow. So just kind of already like, you know, a tragic history. But um, his parents divorced when he was the age of 14, leaving Chuck and his siblings to spend most of their time like with his maternal grandparents on a cattle ranch. He graduated from the University of Oregon in journalism, and he worked for a local newspaper for a brief spell, and then went on to work at Frightliner Trucks. He began to write at like you know weekly uh, workshops uh, held by Portland author Tom Spon- Spanbauer. Spanbauer. Okay. Spanbauer. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of the chapters of, of Invisible Monsters, he does write about like you know the workshop was like twenty dollars a class, but some people would bring like you know things to trade in exchange. And he also writes about like. How, like, you know, he started, like, you know, doing nonfiction, but, like, they would have to read their works in public. Ooh. Like, you know, like, poetry workshops yeah. or, like, you know, at coffee shops. And I've always thought that was, like, very frightening. It is. Um, so it's a it's a level of vulnerability that not everybody is comfortable with. It's a very big level of vulnerability. And I would like to be able maybe one day to do that. Yeah. You know, just get up on, like, on a crowd and, like, you know, read, like, maybe, like, a short story. Mm-hmm. But I love how we have the internet these days. You can just, like, publish your writing. Yeah. If you want to. Yeah. But, and that's why it's really hard to read in front of a coffee shop. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Vulnerability. Um, so he's definitely, you know, writing quite a bit. In fact, Invisible Monsters was one of the first no- novels he wrote. It wasn't um, published, though, quite yet. First, Fight Club was published first. Mm-hmm. So Fight Club, though, started off as a short story. It was an experiment to kill a slow afternoon at work. So his idea, Fight Club, the reason why it came about was instead of walking a character from scene to scene, he wanted to like jump cut scenes. So that's like when we read the book, it's like cut, cut, cut. Yeah. Because he wants to show core moments in the character. Right. So he Chuck was noticing how like a lot of bookstores were like filled with books on how to like you know a social model for women to be together, like you know Yaya, uh, the Divine Sisterhood, whatever Yaya the Divine Sisterhood. I don't know, I've never read it. Anyway, he was just noticing like a lot of like you know groups of women together in books, but there wasn't a social model for how men to be together. This is obviously a great example of it, quote-unquote. Right. Um, so, Fight Club was sold to W.W. W. Norton um, in three days. Uh, he wrote the first draft in about three months, and he sold, the, sold it in three days for an advance as small as, guess how small his advance was? How much? $6,000. That's it. That's crazy. Like... This was a whole like bunch of like a cult this thing yeah. and how big it's gotten or it's affected so many people's lives. He's only got six thousand dollars. That's crazy. For it. Yeah. So this book was not well received, but it did gain traction and won the nineteen ninety seven Oregon Book Award for best novel. So it was actually published in nineteen ninety six and it just took a while for it to like you know receive like you know fame. Yeah. Um, during this time period, um, his father like you know met a girlfriend like in an ad. But what ended up happening was he was shot and killed by his girlfriend's former spouse. They were coming home from their third date, and they were both shot dead in April of 1999. Dang. So it was a pretty tragic time period. And, like, you know, 1999, of course, that's when the movie came out, too. Yeah. So when it comes to his personal life and interviews, Chuck prefers to talk about his work. That's why he's just so, like, enigmatic. Yeah. Um, but in September 2003, Chuck came out as a homosexual. You know, for a long time, it was assumed that he was married, and some members of the press even said he had a wife, but he set the record straight via an audio message on his website after he had an interview with this uh, Entertainment Weekly reporter named Karen Baldy. So he thought he was going to, like, she was going to, like, out him because mm-hmm. he, like, had referred to his, like, male partner, like, during an interview. So he just went, like, went ahead mm-hmm. and just, like, did it himself, like, on his website. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Jumped the gun. And I like it, like... I think it's really interesting how he keeps his, like, life so enigmatic and mysterious. Yeah. But he does do, like, a lot of, like, writing workshops as well. Yeah. I think, you know, especially, like, people who are in the public eye, someone like Chuck Palahniuk, who, um, you know, has such a cult following for more than just Fight Club, for almost all of his work. Like, all of his you work. have to keep kind of a separation between your public, you know, persona and your private persona. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do. So, props to him for trying. I think that is very hard to do, but there's, like, just, like, so much that's, like, gone on in his life that's just been, like, kind of, like, interesting. So, and this is, like, brand new, like, uh, information that I didn't even add into, like, our Invisible Monsters one. So, in 2018, like, he found out that almost, like, all of his finances were gone. His accountant was, like, 
Oh, no. Embezzling it and took almost all of his money. Wow. So, of course, like, they sued him and everything like yeah. that. But that was just, like, that's such a crazy thing to that happen. That is awful. Quite awful. Yeah. It, it happens a lot. Like, when you, like, you're, like, you're trusting people, like, hey, this is my money. Yeah. You know, like, can you please, like, no, keep it correct. Don't take any of it. Right. So, um, I just feel like he's just gone through so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, where was I at? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just about to say... At this point in his life, he shows no signs of slowing down. Down, uh, Of course, he continues to write. He's continuing. He's always, like, putting books out. Right. Um, of course, I, I do think Invisible Monster is my favorite. I think so, too. Over Fight Club. Yeah. I, as much as I love Fight Club, like, I thoroughly love Invisible Monsters. And yeah. I don't think it gets enough credit. I don't think it does. Um, but I do want to read some of his other novels as well. Um, so he does live in Oregon, where she shares with his partner of 20 years and their dogs. Nice. Yeah. So sweet. And he does give back to the community in, like, ways where, like, people write into him and give him gifts. And, mm-hmm. like, if people send him a story, like, he'll send the story back to them with, like, notes. Oh, that's really cool. I yeah. like that. You know, so, you know, authors supporting authors. And, yeah. Like, you know, he, he runs workshops as well. Very nice. And he has a massive cult following. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In a way, it's almost like... Shame. Shame. In a way, I kind of feel like he's Tyler Durden. A little bit, yeah. You know, he's, like, yeah. create, making these books about, you know, masculinity and about, like, you know, sometimes, like, gr- not, like, grotesque things, but, like, he, like, creates these scenes where it makes you, like, visualize so intensely. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, has, like, he has a cult following where, he, is he Tyler Durden? Right. And he's very enigmatic. Extremely. Like Tyler Durden. Yes. Yes. I don't know. Anyways, that was just a thought I had. Yeah, I was, like, doing, like, this, like, a... Uh, bio work yeah and then i was like you know i just read fight club so i was like oh my god oh my god because of the way that like fight club the movie and the book has like moved throughout the world yeah it's like touched so many people like fight clubs were created like everybody knows who Tyler yeah. durden is right everybody knows like paper street soap company is right so um you know obviously we we host our podcast through you know a, a hosting website a platform or whatever and it gives you gives us like statistics and stuff like that yeah and our invisible monsters episode is our second highest listened to episode after 50 shades of gray and i always thought that was <laughs> fascinating right well i always thought it was fascinating because until we did 50 shades of gray it was invisible monsters. monsters and i think it's because he has just such a loyal cult following yeah. that, you know, even random people are going to listen to our random podcast and, you know, because well, we talk about him, his book. I find him fascinating. I can't remember what it was, but he has this short story. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but he does have this short story where, like, when he read it to, like, groups of people, like, a couple of people went into, like, hysteria. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and yeah. like, I think a couple of people like fainted or something like that. Just based on like I guess the words or what was said, some people were having like hysterics. Hmm. Okay, but that's the whole thing about being like an enigmatic character or like, yeah. having like a cult following. Sometimes when you're a legend or a myth, things are just said. Right. Yeah, that's wild. Like Tyler Durden. Like Tyler Durden. Okay, so let's start talking about our book, and I think that we should probably start with defining what we think Tyler is. So the narrator asks him at one point uh, if he's a dream, a projection, disassociative identity order disorder, a psychogenic fugue state, or a hallucination. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know. Okay. Okay, well, so... What do you think? You gotta, like... You want me to tell you what I think? I mean, I do think it is dissociative disorder. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because I believe, like, our male narrator, he's trying to, he's not happy with his life, um, so, like, he kind of, like, you know, has, like, this other side of himself that takes more control, and I believe we all have those sides of ourselves that end up taking more control. However, this, like, it's at this point with this dissociative disorder where, like, he's, this character literally taking control of his body. Yeah. So I think of it a little bit more separated than that. Uh. Um... And and I do think it's dissociative identity disorder because they talk about uh, the best the best metaphor in the entire book is the projector switching. Yeah, like that's I mean that is exactly what's happening. Oh my god! Um, so I have I have the quote. It says, uh, "Switch one shutter closed at the same time. Open the other shutter. Changeover." So like that's that's what's happening. You know, is is those two split 
like literal split personalities are controlling one body. Mm-hmm. And they even talk about that, how it's two different personalities. So I don't know that it's like, I mean, obviously, you know, DID comes from somewhere. Yeah. Typically a trauma. And you're, you know, you have one strong personality who, you know, tries to take over or fronts more than another one does sometimes because of that trauma. Um, but I, I think this one is, it's definitely that. Maybe the trauma is that he's living an idyllic life. Maybe. You know. Yeah. Living in a perfect world molded by Ikea, you know, molded yeah. by advertisements. Right. Without, you know, diving into, like, what, like, you know, masculinity mm-hmm. is and who he is. So I have a couple of quotes um, okay. that just, like, like pulled it for me, you know. Um, he, he, he says Tyler's been around for a long time before we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and they describe it as when the narrator is asleep is when Tyler is controlling the body. Not so, until later, though. But we get hints of that, I feel like. Right, 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 right. So, like, just my couple of quotes are going to support okay. that idea. So I just wanted to. Um, he says, and Tyler's gone. And then one sentence later, he says, I'm not sleeping. So he's not sleeping, so Tyler's not there. Tyler is only there when he's sleeping. Um, I've got to find Tyler. I've got to get to sleep. And he starts repeating this over and over again when people start to think that he's Tyler, or when he realizes that people think that he's Tyler. Um, and then, um, the doctor tells him insomnia is just the symptom of something larger, which I think is, like, probably one of the most telling, like, quotes to support this mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know. It's something larger. It's something larger. Something else is going on. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the doctor shouldn't have not treated him for insomnia, but, you know. Right? I do feel like that whole scene, the doctor's oh like, you're not going to die from insomnia, you're fine. You're yeah. Fine. I'm like, um... And I guess it was the 90s, so, like, they didn't take these kinds of illnesses seriously, but, you know. Anyway, so those are my those are my couple of points, like, that really just kind of stuck it to me that it was dissociative identity disorder. My favorite scene when it comes to Tyler is when Tyler is first introduced. And it's a scene, actually, that's not in the movie mm-hmm. whatsoever. It's yep. a scene on a beach. Yep. And I'm going to pull it up because... Like, give me just a second while sure. I find it. Yeah. Because it truly was one of my favorite scenes. And I'm surprised it wasn't in the movie at all. So the reason why I'm pulling this up is because it's one of, like, I'm going to read this. And I just, like, love this whole scene because it's talking it's talking about a moment, mm-hmm. a perfect moment. Yes. Um, so we meet Tyler, and Tyler, like, he – so our narrative falls asleep on a beach. And then, like, he kind of, like, wakes up, and, like, Tyler's, like, there. But who even knows? Um – I love this quote where he says, if I could wake up in a different place at a different time, can I wake up as a different person? And that, like, really brings about, like, that dissociative identity disorder to me. And I love that another line moving on goes, like, you wake up and you're nowhere. And he talks about, one minute was enough, Tyler said. A person had to work hard for it, but a minute of perfection was worth the effort. A moment was the most you could ever expect from perfection. You wake up and that's enough. His name was Tyler Durden. That's a good, that's a good, like, encapsulation of a lot of what we deal with in the book. Absolutely. And then, of course, I know we're going to talk about, like, the movie in, like, our mini episode, but if that's, like, a scene that's not in it, Mm -hmm. but it's this, like, scene where he's, like, on the beach and he sees Tyler creating this, like, hand out of, like, wood and pillars. Yeah. And it's because he's trying to find, like, a perfect moment. And he's working so hard at it. Yes. Like, He's, like, lugging these pieces of driftwood in from the water, like, to make this, you know, sculpture thing yeah. for just one minute of perfection. It is. And I like the fact that he asks, is Tyler an artist? Yeah. In a way, Tyler is an artist. Yeah. Kind of. I yeah. mean, he's crazy. Yeah, but they're both crazy, so. <laughs> yeah. They're both crazy. Um, can we talk, you want to, like, talk about, like, our narrator, like, a little bit? Just yeah. Just kind of, like, let our, like, listeners know, like, what we're dealing with. Of course, we all know Fight Club. Yeah, of course. Um, so, it's been a few years since I've read this book, mm-hmm. and it's been, I guess, like a year or two since I watched the movie. The movie's so rewatchable. Yes. I've yeah. seen it so many times. A ton. But I see this like it's all like a coming of age, coming into like your adulthood. Like, yeah. I didn't realize it. The male narrator was like, I'm a 30-year-old boy. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I just turned 30 this year. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. And I understand that feeling. It's like, where do I go from here? 
around me, my life is like filled with like material possessions, like my possessions. Am I am I bogged down by by my possessions? Like where do I go? Yeah. What do I do? I have a job, mm-hmm. you know, and I have like you know a relationship, but where's the meaning in it? Yeah. I know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I I think it's um crazy that you know that he's 30 i think it's a little bit different because and they kind of talk about this they're you know a generation of men raised by women so i think us as women being 30 we're in this transitional phase but i think we have a a lot better hold on our lives than he does oh absolutely you know what i mean i loved that quote like a generation raised by women about from absentee fathers yeah because this book is about like you know finding your base masculinity yeah I mean, it's, it's a little boorish, but... Yeah, I tried really hard not to, like, look at it through that scope, just True. because it it is just a little too... Mm, for me... It's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. So I tried I tried to focus on the, you know, the mental illness yeah. version. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we've talked about how you can read things through a certain theme, like, when you're reading it, and, like, that's just not the theme that I had in mind while I was reading it. Absolutely. And then, you know, our author talks about that. So, like, my version has, like, a foreword written by the author. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, it's about, like, how, like, you know, people have come up to him and asked him, what does it mean? What's the theme? Like, and he, yeah. like, one person was, like, I think it's about gay guys, you know, fucking each other, like, in, like, a spa bathroom or something. And he was, like, all right, sure, yeah, it's totally about that. Right. It's whatever you want it to be. And that's, a, like, that's one of the things about just reading in general. Like, yeah. you can interpret everything mm-hmm. through your own lens. I mean, obviously, everything is different to everybody, you know? So, and that's, I think, why doing this podcast and, like, sitting together and reading and talking about these books is so fascinating because, like, you see it differently than I see it. Like, yeah. and it's just so fascinating to get somebody else's perspective. It is good to get someone else's perspective. And that's the thing about this book and his writing style it's a different perspective. Mm-hmm. We read Invisible Monsters, and I know that my version of the book didn't go, like, in a singular timeline. Yeah. Like, it just jumped back and forth, back and forth. So, with Fight Club, we kind of get that as well. We're jumping from scene to scene. Yeah. You wake up, you're at LAX. You yeah. wake up, you're here. You wake up, you're here. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it, and then, like, the next scene is, like, completely different. We're at the cancer support group. Next scene, completely different. Yeah. Um, I like how it does lead us to, like, core moments. Mm-hmm. Like, of, like, core moments of thought. Yeah. Two, I think some of the way that it's written helps you to feel the way the narrator feels with the insomnia. Yes. Because he's, he's you know... He's in a fog. It's a copy of a copy of a copy that he's just so distant from his own life. And I think that those cutscenes kind of really help with mm-hmm. us, to the reader, to feel like, like that as well. Oh, she is pissed about something. I know. It's our first our first appearance of our mini book waster, and mini she's waster. screaming. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's because she's not milk wasted. She's not milk wasted. <laughs> she's about to be milk wasted. Daddy's getting her ready for bed. <laughs> she's about to be milk wasted. Um, okay, so I know we've talked about, like, our narrator and Tyler. Yes. And, like, our normal format, like, we do go into characters, but we really don't, like, have... Yeah, it's a kind ton of ton of characters. That yeah, I I like have like two sentences or two little things about them. We're gonna pause real quick so I can. So we said goodnight to the baby, and Jessica refreshed her drink. Um, so we were talking about characters. It's kind of hard to talk about characters too in depth because they're so intertwined in the storyline that you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Yes, of course. So I just, a couple of things that I just kind of thought were funny um, about the narrator. Um, You know, I just made the note that he's 30 years old, like we are. Um, He lives in in an Ikea furnished condo that's green and orange. Ew. Yes. That's disgusting. Like, you know, when you when you read for leisure, some details like that don't always kind of stick out. But I was, you know, critically reading it this time around, and I was like, green and orange, ew. Um, anyways, and he works for an insurance company, and he sees death all the time. So, like, he is very accustomed to the type of brutality that we see Tyler kind of bring to the forefront. That's a very interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that before. It, it kind of just occurred to me as I was talking. Is that maybe why his personality is like <laughs> just occurred to me while I was like, talking? Like don't like you know sometimes you got to talk it out, man. Ooh, deep. Ooh. 
was like, is that why he's like so displaced? Maybe. Because I feel like our narrator is like displaced. Yeah. And I guess maybe he does like see so much death. Because mm-hmm. of course, like our character, like you know, he deals with like you know recall and he deals yeah. with like, probability and like you know seeing people like dying in these car crashes. Yeah. I think that's maybe why he's so displaced. Yeah, and two, he has to be very detached from it exactly. because. He, it's a numbers thing for him. Like, if the number of people, you know, if the number, whatever it is, doesn't equal the amount of a recall, then they just let people die, potentially. Like, you know, it's a very brutal type of thing that he does. So you kind of have to be detached from it. I think that's what Fight Club brings for him. And it brings to, like, a lot of, like, our random male characters we pop some scenes. Like, fucking feel something. Yeah. Feel something. Yeah. You know, stop being bogged down by your job by your mm-hmm. material possessions mm-hmm. like i'm gonna hit you in the face and you're gonna feel and it you're gonna feel this and, and you're, you're not gonna pain. detach from it you know Ooh, that yeah. was a really good thought i loved that See, i like one. when we talk things out cause... yeah that was good because like i was like yeah. oh my god that's what this fight club is about like yeah he's like i have he's like he's detached he's displaced like he's not having like these feelings anymore yeah. pain yeah mm. good stuff huh i really enjoy the whole thought of the theme of hitting rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Of course, we see, like, our narrator, like, you know, he's got his life together. Then his condo blows up. Tyler Durden. But then, like, um, you know, of course, he's growing into this charismatic leader, which, of course, is already Tyler. But it's just like he's, like, losing so much in his life. He's starting to get frantic because he doesn't like the violence. Like, he's not loving, like, you know, these, like, murders and all the right. violence that's going on. Yeah. But... I love, like, our very end scene, like, is this rock bottom? Mm-hmm. And Tyler's like, congratulations. Yeah. You finally hit rock bottom. Like, you know, is that enlightenment? It's hard to say, you know? Like, do you, do you need to hit rock bottom in the way that Tyler thinks you need to hit rock bottom, you know? No, that's good. I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, I don't <laughs> no, think so. Yeah. I can be bogged down by my material possessions. <laughs> yes. I'm okay I'm with okay that. I'm okay with that, yeah. I still feel things. It's fine. Like, I still feel I, things. I feel plenty. I cry. I yes. cry all the time. Yes. Anxiety. I don't need to go to a cancer support group. I don't need to hug Bob. Like, yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. We're good. Um, so do you have anything about um, Tyler? Um, I mean, of course, we're always going to keep bringing up Tyler. I guess we can kind of move on to Marla a little bit if you want. Okay. Um, so the thing that I wrote down about Marla that I thought was kind of humorous, or not humorous, but ironic, is that she does actually have cancer. Yes. Um, and when... That's never mentioned in the movie. No. A, a little bit. A little bit. Like, he has her come and check for a lump. But, like, it's never brought oh, yeah. up that she has had a lump before. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in the book, they when she shows up, um, he's telling her, you're a fraud. You're ruining this for me. You're a liar. You're a faker. When really it's him, and she's the one who has every right to be at these cancer support groups, you know, like, yeah, because she does have cancer. Um, and she just doesn't want to know um, that she's, you know, she wants to live in ignorance about when she's going to die. Um, and she goes to the cancer support meetings to remember to live. That's that quote. That's one of my favorite quotes about Marla. Marla's philosophy of life, she told me, is that she can die at any moment. The tragedy of her life is that she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really, you know, just kind of almost, um, I think we see an opposite of the narrator in Tyler, but we also see an opposite of the narrator in Marla, you know? I feel like Marla feels everything. She does. Like, I think she's like... So much. She feels everything that is, like, told to her. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating that she's obsessed with death and danger and also, like, living this, like, like... An alternative culture. Mm-hmm. At the same time, like she knows the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, like she gets so mad at him. Right. Um, about things. I love the scene in the book where she's so Tyler's been stealing fat from her mom. <laughs> and again, that's something that you see in the movie. Yes. So like they've been stealing like you know fat from her mom. You boiled so, my mother. You boiled my mother. You <laughs> killed my mother. Um, but at the same time, like you know, we get towards like you no. Know, the narrator, like, even says, like, I love Marla. Uh-huh. Like, I love Marla. But uh, something I love when we get to the end, like, the last chapter in the book, where she says, I like you. And then the narrator's like, no, you don't like it. And she said, no, I like you. I know the difference. Oh, yeah. 
Because she's, she's recognizing the difference between, between the, two. the two. Yeah. I always find that fascinating. Like, I've read articles by, like, people who are married to people with DID. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, how they can be supportive and see the differences and things like that. I just think that's really fascinating. You have to be, like, a ridiculously constitutional person, like, to do something like that, you know? Absolutely. Because you have to love every facet of that person. Yeah. Oh, I did want to read a description of her just because I liked the way the words were put together. Okay. I love I love it when you write read a book. You're like, ooh, those were good words. Those are good words. Um, I like how she was described as having Italian dark leather sofa lips. Ooh. Just I just love the way those were put together. Yeah. Just like, it just gave me this like dark, smoky mm-hmm. kind of character. Yeah. That's interesting because she is always smoking. True. Yeah. Ugh. I hate the smell of it. I know, it's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting yeah. to me. Um, okay, so let's... Uh, anything else about Marla? No, that was pretty much it. Um, I mean, I almost kind of love how... Sometimes these books that we read of Chuck's, like, they're, like, there's romance. Yeah. There's romance always in them. It's... I feel like it's an undercurrent. Like, it yeah. helps to move the story along, but that's not what the story is about. Yeah. But also, like, towards the end of the book, I think it's, like, the chapter right before, like, he's discovering, he's like, Tyler was here because I met Marla. Yeah. And he's like, I love Marla. Tyler loves Marla. Yeah. I was, I just thought that chapter was interesting where he's just, like, kind of, like, recognizing that um, versus, like, you know, actually, like, liking somebody. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Just thought that was kind of cool. I do. I do think her character's a little kooky and crazy. Yes, of course. It's very erratic and very yes. But I mean, the whole book is like that. But have you noticed? And maybe this is also bringing about the movie a little bit too. And then like movies made in the nineties, how mm-hmm. you get like these like erratic, flighty, kooky, crazy brunette characters. Give me an example. Um. Okay, maybe not necessarily like, you know, uh, Marla in Fight Club, but what about maybe in Along Came Polly, which is a rom-com. She's like this like kind of kooky, flighty, crazy character, not super straight-laced. Um, I've never seen that one, sorry. <laughs> but I'm nodding my head in agreement. Uh-huh, yeah. And then there's always, there's always going to be like these like male characters who have like this like perfect life, and they come across like this like female character that like, almost kind of like, you know, Changes things up. Like, catapults like, them into yes. a quirky lifestyle. Yes. Uh, like, okay. they have, like, I get a little you. bit of chaos in that, life. that trope. I get it's it. That tr- it's such yeah. a fucking trope. Uh-huh. Where it's like, ooh, cool and quirky. Uh-huh. Not typical. They're normally, like, a brunette character. Yeah. So. Yes. Like, Zoe Deschanel and everything. Zoe Deschanel and everything. Oh, fuck yeah. So, I just thought that that was, like, interesting. Like, to me, it was kind of tropey. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I see that. I see it. Yeah. Okay. And then, like, a book that's, like, so cool and so interesting and so different. Yeah. Still can be a little tropey. Absolutely. Well, but, I mean, that's that's kind of just what you deal with. I still mean, gotta write it. You still gotta make money. Everything has to be a trope. You know, like, you have, trope. you have to have a trope. Like, yeah. you know, you can't, like, you just can't write in a in a completely original way anymore. That's yeah. just not. Yeah. We're not original. No. We're not original. We're nothing. Not, not a special snowflake. You are not a special snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> um, that part reminded me, tiny little detour, that part reminded me of, I just watched Inventing Anna, mm-hmm. and the author of the article that the show is based on was pregnant while she was interviewing Anna and writing the article. Wow. Um, and she goes to visit Anna, and I don't know if this happens in real life, but in the show, the, the author goes to visit Anna in jail. And she says, are you pregnant or are you just really, really fat? And she's like, no, I'm pregnant. And she was like, well, that doesn't make you special. Like, people have babies all the time. And so in the scene where she's giving birth, like, the only thing that kind of gets her through it is to shout that I'm not special. And I just thought that was just a really funny thing. And when we were reading this book and I, like, I was kind of reading the book and watching the show at the same time, I was like, I mean, good for you. Like, if that's what gets you through it, you know? Like, yeah. You know, yeah, because women have babies all the damn time. Squatting in fields. We've been doing this yeah. for years. We've been for dying for years centuries. as well. Yes, of course. But, uh, yeah. It's for a long time. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. That is very um, interesting. Yeah. Do you want to move on to some additional points? Yeah, absolutely. Did you have anything you wanted to bring up? I have several. Same. Because I think we do know we always focus on books. I can't, I'm sorry. Characters. Characters and storyline and things like that. But, but, like, this book has so many themes symbols and metaphors in it and such great lines yes 
Okay. Yes. What are some of your points? Okay, so I um I like to find like we've kind of talked about this before the two little like correlations between mm-hmm. things um and I I love it when it's in pairs like I don't know why I just love a good pair. That's okay. We love a good pairing. I love a good pairing. Love it. Like you and I. Wink wink. <laughs> Um, so at the cancer support group, when he cries into Bob's shirt, the quote is, the front of Bob's shirt was a wet mask of how I looked crying. And then later on at Fight Club, he's like getting the shit pounded out of him. And he looks down at the ground and it says, a print of half my face in blood. And I just like mm. saw that connection there. And it just really brought in that, you know, Fight Club has replaced what he needed at the yeah. cancer support groups. So I just really liked that a lot. That was a good point. Yeah. Um, and then kind of just before the end where he's starting to realize that he and Tyler are the same person. You know, we have these I am Joe lines. Jack. Jack. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am Jack lines throughout the book and throughout the movie, of course, as well, which I wrote down all of the car- all of the things. So in my head, I would just call him the narrator. For some reason, I kept calling him Jack. I wanted while to. I'm reading yeah, I did sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, but right before it kind of comes out that they're the same person, instead of saying, I am Jack's whatever, he says, I am Tyler's mouth, I am Tyler's hands. Ooh, that was nice. So kind of like that tie-in to, you know, we're going to find out that they're the same person. Um, yeah, I made a note that Fight Club started out as a, just a thing to pass a boring day. It's actually chapter six in the book, Mm -hmm. according to my afterword. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about how Chuck has a thing for not fully naming his narrators. Sure. We don't know who they are. Because in in Invisible Monsters, we do finally get a solid idea of who the narrator is at the end of the book. But throughout the book... We don't know her name. We don't know her name. She has a million different names. She's nobody. Yeah. Um, So I just thought that was a really fascinating kind of, you know, thing that that Chuck likes to do. Yeah, it's almost like the narrator is just kind of, like, takes a step back from, like, you know, yeah. these other, like, very, like, you know, amazing characters. Mm-hmm. You know, in Invisible Monsters, we have Brandy Alexander. Right. And in this one, we have Tyler Durden. Yeah. These people who are charismatic, they're able to bring other people into their fold. Mm-hmm. I like that. Maybe Chuck feels like he's a supporting character. Maybe. And he writes that way. Sometimes I feel that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> I just thought that was fascinating. I'm the female protagonist in my own story. <laughs> You are. You definitely are. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting because, like you said, it's just like, you know, he's just, those characters are taking a step back and, and lending a voice. their voices to these other people that they think are more important. So. Sometimes you do that as a friend. You do sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of take a step back. All right, right, cool. If you want to be alpha, I'll let you be alpha. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. I'm actually alpha, but I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you think that you're alpha. I'll let you think that you are. You're loud and charismatic. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I really, I have a point. Um, uh-huh. Something that comes about in the movie and the book. Like, I love the fact that these men are coming together to eradicate anything superficially masculine. And that's just mean that's like, you know, when we, when all these guys are coming together in a fight club, it's like, you are not your car. You are not your job. Mm-hmm. You are not your family at home. What you are here is at it? fight club, that's it. So it's like eradicating, like, you know, quote unquote, what it means to be a man, what yeah. it means to be male. You come to fight club, like you can get, like, you can gain muscles in the gym, but you are in fight club, you can come, you become as hard as a nail. Yeah. <sighs> it's so hard to talk. I've had two of these drinks. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm getting real like warm and loose and fuzzy. Yeah. Okay. I do want to go over the rules real quick. Yes. All right. So I wrote them down. One, you don't talk about Fight Club. Obviously, we know. Right. Um, Two, you don't talk about Fight Club. Obviously, we know. Um, Shame on me. Three, you know, tapping out. Fights over. It's fights over. Um, Four, two men per fight. Five, one fight at a time. Six, no shoes, no shirts. Um, seven, fights go on as long as they have to. And eight, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. <laughs> I like that. I love it. I love the I love the different rules. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, this occurred to me while I was reading, while I was watching the movie, why don't we talk about Fight Club? This is not one of my questions, but like, like why is it so important? Because it, 
doesn't matter. People are still talking about it. People are still That's coming. That's the whole point. It doesn't matter. I just, so why? Like, what's the, you know what I mean? Like. I think it's like that, like, kind of like anti-culture, like that alternative culture kind of thing. Okay. Okay. I can see that. It just like that's it, a good question though. It occurred to me while I was watching the movie. That's like, that's the that's the whole satire part. Yeah, and watching um, Brad Pitt deliver those lines, mm. you know, like it was just like, whew, we'll talk about him next. We'll episode. talk about him in the next episode. <laughs> it's just so hard to avoid it. Oh, oh my goodness, so good. Um, I don't have any additional points. Do you? I have another quote. It's not one of my sparklers, but I just thought the quote was. So funny. Okay. Because it goes along with one of my additional points I wanted to talk about. Okay. Because it's almost like, like you know how like you love pairing, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the quote, you know the condom is the glass flipper of our generation. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, and that goes in along with like my point about single serving friends. Yeah. Or single serving moments. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that like, so we have dating apps and you meet people at bars, you meet people here and here, but you're never having, like, a truly great defining moment with this person. It's single-serving. Yeah. You meet someone on a date, dating app and, like, you just hook up, that's a single-serving moment. Yeah. You meet, like, a, I love meeting girls in the bathroom. Oh, that's the best. It's the best. Yeah, that's and, a know, bond you will remember It's a bond you remember, life. but it's a single-serving moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will never see you again, and I had a really great moment with you. It was that one moment of perfection yes. that we talk about. Yes. But it was single-serving. Ooh, I like that. Yes. Um, and I just kind of like, I was just thinking about that while I was reading about like that whole chapter about like, you know, what single serving actually is. Mm-hmm. We can have like little moments with people and like it's something that you can remember, but that's all it is. It never goes deeper than that. Yeah. And it just like made me feel about like today's day and age. Yeah. Where like, you know, when you're single, like, you know, dating, like it sucks. You just have to like go through like so many fucking people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find something that, someone that you like. Yeah. 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 Cause, uh, I'm not a single coffee creamer kind of person anyways. No, no. I love um, but I do really, I did really like the concept of the single serving, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, um, because we don't necessarily get this point of view in the book, but we do in the movie that Tyler is a single serving friend, but then he's not a single serving friend. That's what it starts out to be. Oh, a little bit, a little bit, you know, because it's just one of those passing moments that the narrator has that turns into more. One thing, this is actually going to be, like, my last additional point. Mm -hmm. One thing I loved about reading this book again, because, like, you know, today's episode's theme is that, you know, we're rereading a book that we both have already read before. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably should have brought that up in the Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Sorry. Whatever. Fuck it. Maybe bring that in later. (laughs) But um, I loved reading this again. I'm just, like, getting so many clues about, like, the reason, like, why. So it's, like, this is on page 15. Because of his nature, Tyler could only work night jobs. Some people are night people. Some people are day per- people. I could only work a day job. Yes. And then this is also on the same page, which you already brought up this point. I don't know how long Tyler had been working on all those nights I couldn't sleep. Page 15. Yes. Before even the big reveal. I think it's... So we get all I these think quotes throughout this book. We get a little bit of that even earlier. Let me see if I can... Let me grab my notebook here. Um, one of the things that he repeats is I know this because Tyler, Tyler knows this. this. Oh, yeah, that was, like, chapter one. That's literally chapter one. I know this because Tyler knows this. So I, like, I just couldn't not write down all of those things that just give it away. I love it. You know? I loved rereading this book again. Because it just, it just is so apparent. Like, yes. when you read it again, when you know what's happening, um, we just totally forget about Tyler's whole murder-suicide thing. That's a plural possessive murder suicide. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, ugh. I just, yeah. Sorry. And then we were talking earlier about um, the masculinity part of it. This is the only note I made about masculinity. Um, when they're in the remaining men together group, they lean into each other, and he describes it the way wrestlers stand. And this is to cry. And to me, that felt like such an aggressive description for such a vulnerable Moment. situation. And I just thought that was interesting. I love that. Sorry to just to bounce around there for a second. No, that's great. Like I said, like, you know, like, I love it when, like, words are put together to create a moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what Chuck does such a good job of doing. He it's puts, so like, very good. good. He's, there's so many metaphors, but, like, the, 
He's such also a visionary. He creates really good visions in your head. And a lot of people don't like it. Mm-hmm. That's why this book was not well received. That's why maybe the movie was not well received because it's gut-wrenching. It is. But it, it's it, visceral. It's very visceral and it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's what art's supposed to do. Of course. Yeah. And I love the way that this, like, they're like, oh, it's just so violent. Oh, there's just so much going on. What does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? It makes me feel something. It makes me right. think. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what it's, that's what art is supposed to do. That's what art is supposed to do. And yeah. like sometimes I feel weird about reading this book. I'm a girl. I'm a basic white girl. Yes, I love Starbucks. I love all these things. And I almost kind of feel like I need a book for this. Yeah. For this me. So I can, you know, find like my a fight club. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do I get rid of these like ideas of what a, a girl or a female is supposed to be when she's 30? And yeah. that's what this does. This breaks down, you know, what are you supposed to be? Mm-hmm. And it breaks it down back to you, like your barest bones. Yeah. Fighting. I like that. I like that. I don't know. Very nice. It makes me think like, oh, that's one of my questions. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Moving we'll get on. There. Moving okay, on. We're kind of like done with our additional points. We're just like chit chatting. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so do we, do we want to go ahead and move into into questions? Uh, let's do it. Okay. Um, so what I was kind of tying into there for just a second is, um, Project Mayhem kind of starts out as these little acts of rebellion, um, to make these guys feel more alive and to, you know, give them the control in their lives till they, like, pee in the soup at the restaurant and shit. Um, in the movie, they, like, demagnetize DVDs in Mm -hmm. the, you know, movie rental store. Little acts of rebellion. So are there any little acts of rebellion that you do in your life to just, like, fuck the system, you know what I mean? Stick it to the main. I'm honestly little acts of rebellion. I'm really trying to think about it because I don't think like I'm very rebellious to the system. I'm rebellious to people. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't think that I'm like you know very like rebellious to like to the system so much. Yeah. Um, if I'm at a bar or a club, like I skip the line because mm-hmm. fuck it, <laughs> I'm not gonna wait in line. It's yeah. Stupid. Um. But other than that, like, I feel like I am, like, kind of, like, a slave to society. I do like to follow the rules. I like it when people are nice. Yeah. It's not that hard to be nice. Yeah. Um, God, I'm not rebellious. <laughs> so, let me give you my example. Maybe give this me an example. You. Okay. So, my little actor rebellion is, it's very personal. And I'm, like, absolutely not the only person doing this. But I have decided that I'm not going to, like, make myself smaller. Like, for so many years, Mm -hmm. I have tried to make my body smaller and to um, diet and exercise and lose weight, and I'm just not going to do it anymore. Like, fuck it. I'm happy. Yeah. Why does my body matter? Like, okay. unless it's, like, affecting my health, which it's not, why why am I going to give so much energy to fitting society's standard of pretty? Like... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I'm not going to be apologetic about my body anymore. And that's my, you know. As, to our listeners, as she's wearing a shirt that says thick thighs <laughs> and thin patience. Thin patience. <laughs> yes. But, you know, like, I just, you know, if I have to buy a bigger size jean, whatever. Like, it's what makes me comfortable. It's what I fit in. You know? Mm-hmm. And I keep seeing a lot of these things. And like I said, I am not the only person to do this by any means. But, like, it makes me feel empowered in my choices and in my body um and and like being around other people who talk about those kinds of things oh I'm not going to eat that because you know it's bad and I'm like okay good for you as I eat it like I want it it looks good you know and of course I like do things to keep my health a priority yeah you still want to be healthy but like you know I'm not doing things to make my physical body but way while you were pregnant they told you you were healthy yeah and they kept telling me, like, you're healthy. be careful, you know, oh, preeclampsia is a big thing because you're overweight and da-da-da-da-da. But I sailed through pregnancy with literally no problems. Low blood pressure, if anything. You know, so it's like, I just, I'm trying to remove the stigma of my physical size yeah. from a lot of what I do in the day. And that's your act of rebellion against, like, society mm-hmm. and what, like, you know, that standard is supposed yep. to be. Yes. Yeah. That's my, that's my little act of rebellion. Does that bring anything else up for you? Kind of. I hate working out. Yeah. And I I think your hair is a good point. Of course, again, not a lot of people do that. Or a lot of people change their hair color, and it's very in these days to have a different color hair. But you've been dyeing your hair funny colors for a long-ass time. I sure have. Pink was such a vibe. 
Pink was a vibe. I love pink your was pink a vibe. Hair. Going back to being like natural and everything like that. Yeah. Um. Sometimes I think like my little act of rebellion is just like. You know, like I'm five foot. Yeah. The shortest fuck. Yeah. But I'm like I'm I'm loud. You are spunky as fuck. I'm like, spunky and I'm boisterous and I'm confident. Yeah, your your personality yeah. makes up for your size. It does. So there's been times when I've been out with people who I thought thought were like absolutely dropped and gorgeous, but uh-huh. they were just like extremely like insecure, and I just never understood that. Uh-huh. But I think you know, like as you get older, you just like kind of like learn. Like it's like I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, like I'm still loved by my friends like yeah. I'm still loved by people you can still yeah. get laid right like yeah just little hard. things like that yeah I think that would probably be not just like to me it's not like rebellious or anything like that but I think like if like that's like my little act of rebellion then like that's yeah. what it is yeah I think a little bit of that is just like taking power in yourself and that's a yes. lot of and that's what the theme of this book is he never took power in himself and that's why we have Tyler Durden yeah Durden 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 he says like you know he's like um what did he say like he's like I fuck like you want to fuck yeah well that's in the that's in the movie not in the book true (laughs) but still we'll get there and Tyler is like this like idea of like you know what our Mary wants to like wants to be he even calls him like a beautiful angel with his like blonde hair and like all this stuff yeah yeah okay all right what's your question um, okay. So my question is, is there power and freedom at the bottom to not be held in the sway of your material possessions? Because that's, like, what Tyler wants. And then, of course, like, you and I, like, you have a family, you have a baby, and then, like, you know, we all have these things, and we're trying to achieve goals in our life. Like, we want to feel secure. But yeah. is there power and freedom in not having anything to be at the bottom? Unless that's what you want, No. You know, um, because if you aren't achieving your goals and like, you know, I, I obviously have very stereotypical goals of, you know, starting a family and having, you know, that kind of, you know, but that's what I wanted. And like, if I was actively trying to fight against that, I don't think that I would have any power in that. You know, I wouldn't feel like I had control over my own destiny so to say, if I was actively fighting against what I wanted, what do you think? Um, I agree with you. Like, I have, I don't necessarily think there's, like, power and freedom at the bottom unless that's something that you want. Like, that's how you would leave life. Yeah. If you want to start at the bottom and work your way back up, or just like there's just your power. There and just be happy. Yeah. Like, if that's what you want, that's what you want. But I like material possessions. Yes. Yeah. I like material things. Um, I don't like to be poor. I am very happy on a jet ski. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody frown on a jet ski? No. Um, but I understand like the idea of like enlightenment at the bottom when everything's yeah. been stripped away. What do you do next? But but really, like, what is enlightenment? You know, like. Oh, now we're gonna into a whole sorry, fucking different sorry. discussion. Then. I just like that. I have, you know, I always struggle with that, especially when we read this book. I'm like, whole different discussion. What is enlightenment? <laughs> um, yeah. I love that. I love the one of my favorite scenes is like you know when he receives like Tyler's kiss. Yeah. You know he's like you haven't hit rock bottom. Like you know yeah you're close though. So. Yeah. yeah. It's like this whole thing of like you know pain and pleasure together. Like you're getting to this point where you're like, you're learning how to let go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the idea of like. Some of the ideas in this book is letting go. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I don't know how to do that, though. No, neither. I need Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I'm good. I'll figure it out. What was your next question? Um, What do you think has happened? I'm sorry. Do you think the Tyler character is gone at the end? Ooh. Do we think he's actually gone? All right. So we all know that, you know, our narrator, like, you know, shoots himself in the cheek mm-hmm. to, you know, to kill Tyler. Right, like, is that personality stored in your cheek, bro? Right. <laughs> um, something that's interesting in the book, like, we come to this next scene where he's in heaven. Yes. And he sees white everywhere, nothing but white, people are giving him pills, and he's yeah. like, this is heaven, this is heaven. Yeah. Everything is soft and... Soft, and, like, you know, people come in... Squeaky he, shoes. Squeaky and, shoes. Yeah. Obviously, duh, he's in an institution. Mm, yeah. But I don't think Tyler's ever going to be gone. I don't think he's in control. 
Okay. I think he had control over our narrator, but I think he's just maybe like asleep or maybe the character, the narrator and Tyler actually, okay, this is what I do think. I think the narrator and Tyler are like fully merged together. Okay. At this point. Okay. Because, you know, we get this like one of these like last scenes is like this like I guess orderly is like mopping around him saying like we miss you sir everything's mm-hmm. going according to plan right so the way I see it is kind of opposite of what we see at the end of Psycho okay where Norman's mother is the front personality so you think Tyler won oh no I think the narrator won oh okay the narrator took the power back from Tyler so it's opposite of what we see in Psycho I think the narrator is that front personality. Tyler's still there, and there is still, of course, a full possibility that he can come back into the front. Mm-hmm. But I think the narrator is the front personality at the end. Okay. Yeah. Very just nice. kind of, you know, I just thought that was interesting. And they even, in my afterward, he even talks about um, the, the, you know, kind of juxtaposition in Psycho versus Fight Club. I thought that was fascinating. Okay. I had another question, but we kind of already discussed it. It was about, like, you know, female quirky characters. Oh, okay. So that was my bad. That's okay. I'm, like, just already, like, discussing my <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, it happens in yeah. these episodes. It's not the first time. No, it just <laughs> happens. Sometimes the conversation just comes up organically, and it you just does. don't want to push it. And... You don't want to push it, and that's, like, so, like, you're, like, hey, my question was answered. But did you want to go into sparklets? Yes. Ooh. Go ahead. All right. I'll go ahead, since you definitely already did the... Uh, last question. All right, so this is taken out of context. Yes. But I loved, loved, loved this quote. It's on page 36. May I never be complete. May I never be content. May I never be perfect. And the reason why I'm taking it out of context is because, like, what that means to me is that it's actually extremely fucking motivational. Yeah. <laughs> like, the hell? Like, you're always striving for something beyond complacency. Mm-hmm. And our narrative our narrator became complacent. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that is the enemy. That's the villain yeah. in this book is complacency. Complacency in the idea of like what you're supposed to be. Complacency in the idea of like what you shot for, the life you're supposed to have. So that was one of my favorite quotes. I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's a good one. Right. Um, Mine, I liked it just because, you know, I liked the words together. Also, it contains the title of our previous book. Oh, okay, okay. And this, of course, is after, um, or during the scene where um, Tyler is um, giving him the chemical burn. Okay. And he says, Tyler's kiss is a bonfire. Ooh. And I just can, like, close my eyes and imagine the pain creeping up from the top of my hand through my arm into the right. rest of my body. Because we talked about what a bonfire is and how it spreads. Yes. Yes. That's nice, like, bringing that up again. Mm-hmm. I liked that. I liked it. Okay. What's yours? Um, my next one's, like, another just great quote. Honestly, this book is filled with just so really many. great sayings. It's really hard. Really great quotes. It's hard to pick something out, but I just wanted to always, like, write something down that struck me very well. Yeah. Um. Um. This is, like, the scene where... Tyler's doing the kiss again. It's just such a good one. It's a good scene. Um, so the quote is on page 66. Because everything up to now is a story, Tyler says, and everything after now is a story. And I just loved that because, like, we're reading a story. We're living a story. We are nothing but stories. Yeah. That's good. I like that. I don't know. It's yeah. kind of like a really random little quote. And yeah. I loved it a lot. Yeah. That's it. Good. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, my last one is from the narrator to Marla. Ooh, okay. Um, and this is, I think, when they're talking about, maybe after he finds out that she does have cancer, when he's checking for a lump, I'm not sure. Anyways, it's from him to Marla. There will be mistakes, and maybe the point is not to forget the rest of yourself if one little part might go bad. And, like... You just, it's just. Oh, wow. Wow. You you just don't want to focus on. One little part of me. One little part. And like, as someone who toes the line of realist and and, uh, pessimist, like, I think that's a good thing for me to remember. Like, I often tend to see the bad things in life and to err on the side of negativity. 
Like, I think that's something that I need to take to heart sometimes is not to forget that the rest of your life is not bad just because one part might be. I absolutely agree with that. That's like striking home so hard right now. Right? It does. Good stuff. Knuckle can be applied to like so many things, you know, people who lose limbs, mm-hmm. like to like an infection or just anything like that. Like, yeah, don't focus on like one part of you that's gone bad. Right. Like, who are, what's the rest of you? Exactly. Exactly. You know, just because you, you know, like, and especially right now, like I just feel like my life is just completely falling apart all the time. And like, I have to remember that like, it's not. It's not. You're the most stable person I know. <laughs> just that's so you know that. scary. And, like, <laughs> I know that it's not, but, like, that's how I feel inside. Like, my brain just does not feel normal anymore. And a lot of it is just, like, lack of sleep. And just, I just have a thousand things in my mind all the time. But, like, I have to remember that that I do have my shit together. Or I'm doing the best I can to have my shit You're together. You're doing the best you can to have your shit. And that's what matters. Like... You know, yeah. just because it's not perfect doesn't mean that it's all bad. So, that's that's it. I love that. I always ask uh, people to check my boobs for lumps, by the way. Yeah? Constantly. <laughs> I'm always like, can you check me for lumps? Nice. Actually, can you just touch my boobs? Can you just touch my boobs? <laughs> While you're there, can you check for lumps? While you're there. That's funny. I love this. All right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's the podcast. Um. So, did you like it? Oh, that's right. Um, yes, of course. Yes, of course. I yeah. absolutely loved it. I yeah. love Fight Club. We've read this before. I've seen the movie so many different times. It's so. It's just. It's a. It's a very thought provoking. It's thought provoking. Yes, I also like the book more than the movie. As much as as great as an adaptation, the movie yeah. is. I like the book more um, because there are so many thought provoking quotes, questions, themes, symbols, whatever it may be. Yeah. And that's the reason why, like, you know, it's affected so many people, like, to honestly go a little crazy, but whatever. Yeah. Um, that's what these types of writings are supposed to do. That's what that's what writing a good book is supposed to do. It's supposed to change your society. It's supposed mm-hmm. to do something. I have this idea or this feeling that maybe 20 to 30 years from now, they might ban Chuck's works. Oof. He, that's like, he's considered like, you know, he's a, he's a very aggressive author. Yeah. He's like weird. Yeah. He's like one of those like authors, like, like, it's like that type of censorship comes down, they're going to start banning like, these books. We're, we're already dealing with that right now in the school system. We will revolt. But, uh, yeah. I, I love this book. I am book wasted. Yes. I am book wasted. Do you like it too? I did. Yes. Okay. It's a good book. Like you said, like I said, it's very thought provoking. It's. Not only is it thought-provoking, but you can apply it to, to more than just the literal sense of the book. Absolutely. You know, it just fits so many things. Yeah, and that's why some people didn't like it. They take it too fucking literal, yeah. literally. It's not supposed to be taken literally. No. I have to think sometimes about, like, comparing books like this, these very allegorical type of books, to high fashion, like Ooh. runway shows. You know, you see those really stupid outfits that True. are not practical. Yeah in real life but it's art like it's not meant to be worn to the grocery store like, yeah it's art and that's like how you have to think sometimes of these allegorical types of books like not that you're supposed to pl- apply it directly to your real life but that you're supposed to read your own meaning into it so, right yeah, I i'm not gonna like you know do like a little project mayhem acts right i'm not gonna go out and be in people's suits have you ever been in a fight yourself i have not not a real one. I mean, I used to fight with my cousins and stuff, but have you ever been in a fight? I've never, like, you know, like, the whole, like, you know, provoked a fight like that. Like, yeah. I've never, like, not physically. I've just yelled. Right, yeah. several people. I think a fist fight is different than, like, a shouting match. I mean, that's, like, exactly what this is. Like, no, this is fighting. This is fist fighting. Like, yeah. bare-knuckle boxing. Bare-knuckle boxing is fighting. Um, I just wanted to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. Just because, you know, they talk about, like, you know, we just live in a society, like, you know, we're not, I don't know. Yeah. We're not down to, like, our basics. I, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm I am not okay a hunter. No. 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 That's totally I'm good. fine. I like ordering my groceries for curbside pickup. <laughs> it's great. I did that this morning. I'm good. We are the people who would be affected by Project Mayhem. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. We're those people. See, but I'm also one of those people who's prepared for the apocalypse. Not really. I'm just kidding. But like, you know, we are in the end times, and like that. You're like, I'm okay. That freaks me out a lot. I'll be alright. You're like, yeah. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a. Yeah. I have fangs. I'll survive. <laughs> I'll survive. It's fine. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Let's wrap this Let's up. Wrap it up. So, welcome to like you know the second episode of this season. Um, join us next week. We are going to be discussing the movie. Yes. It was very hard to not talk about it this, very uh, this episode, but we're going to be talking a little bit more about the details of the movie, mm-hmm. um, how like it's like you know affected like you know, our culture. Yeah. And then what you'll want to do is like you know please uh, listen to us on Spotify or any of your other listening platforms. You can follow us on like you know Book Wasted Podcast Instagram as well as Facebook, and then as always, stay, stay wasted, wasted, my friends. friends.